Attention Pokemon players, you are listening to Triple P, the Pittsburgh Pokemon podcast. I am your host, Jake Abrams, alongside again, Chuck, our whimsy watch. How are we doing today, Chuck? Good. How's it going? Nah, it's going. Yeah, no, you're always welcome here. Oh, I had a blast talking Pokemon with you last week. Um, some pretty good news are Pokemon related news last week. This week is a little bit uh, lighter when it comes to that. Um, but always still fun to talk Pokemon with you. Yep. Uh, so how was your how's your week been? Any uh, updates since uh, the last episode? No, uh, no big update from me, except that I was able to actually get a Marnie premium tournament collection. So that was my big hit for the week. <laughs> I know you were really looking forward to that because yes. out of everybody I know in the game locally or <laughs> worldwide, you are the number one Marnie fan in my in yes. my eyes. So I'm very happy you got that. So <laughs> congrats there. Yeah, it was uh, it was a uh, one store came through for me. Drawbridge Games here local. If you yeah quick plug no. if you if you you're local in pittsburgh and you need some games go to drawbridge but they were they came through for me and had one uh order that was i pre-ordered that they actually got and helped nice. for me so nice 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 yeah this week's kind of been slow for me too um obviously we we did our tournament and another close um that, uh, we talked about last week where we had what six people tied at three one at top um, we were very close to having that happen again if our undefeated would have lost in the last round. Um, but so he he ended up winning it and uh, uh, Ryan, our local at what was it five five and oh, and then I came in second at four one. So it was it was a it was a fun tournament again, um, very much packed at the top. Um, would have been funny to see that happen two times in a row after saying how rare it was from last week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that would have, it was a possibility, um, cause I was, uh, filling in for Zach, uh, that day watching the, oh, that's right. Help, helping organize. So you, you did a very good job at, um, <laughs> at having our event run pretty smoothly there. I know there was maybe one or two small hiccups, but learning experience for sure. Yeah. I mean, I just fill in when he can't happen to be there. So yeah, for sure. No, nah, but, um, I, we have a guest today. Um, I'm very, very excited. This has been long overdue. Um, I'm sure many of you guys listening already know who this is, um, but we have Jake Gearhart. How are we doing today? Doing good. Um, so yeah, welcome to the cast. Um, for those that may not know who you are, um, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah, so I've been playing Pokemon for a long time, seven or eight years now competitively, uh, since the, uh, like the start of the 2014 season. Um, uh, I've been uh, kind of playing on and off since then. Uh, I took a, a so uh, my like I guess my best year in uh, in person um, was probably 2016 when I was uh, able to get second at Minnesota State Championships and uh, win Wisconsin Regional Championships. Oh geez, <laughs> that's <laughs> yeah. pretty impressive. So then uh, I was able to go to Worlds that year, which was uh, very fun. Um, then I sort of took a break or, or I kind of played on and off for the next uh, few years uh, through high school. Um, just kind of balancing schoolwork with Pokemon was challenging, but I made made it through. And so uh, I didn't didn't really like grind hard for my invite after that until mm -hmm. um, until I kind of really came back in full force with uh, online stuff, because it's so much easier to be able to just hop into an event whenever whenever you have time. 
Yeah, no, I agree with that. Like being able just to access this and play um, basically almost every day, there's a pretty good tournament out there on Limitless um, to kind of just like improve your game or just play for fun. Um, but actually, I wanted to ask you, since you said you uh, in 2016, you made Worlds um, and uh, after Worlds, did you kind of have a little bit of a burnout because of just like maybe not doing as well at the event or was it more just like you said, schoolwork? Yes, yeah, it was kind of a combination of both. Like mm -hmm. I had, I really had, uh, like, uh, and I know I posted on Twitter about this a, a few days ago, and uh, some people like mis misinterpreted what I was saying, but but it's all good. So mm -hmm. I, I guess my 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 thing is that I really had this mindset where, uh, like, I kind of mystified worlds. It was this like big end prize thing, mm -hmm. and that I, I sort of like felt it was uh, like a kind of the last round in like a year long tournament. Yeah. So you're, you're grinding all these small events and they're like just round one, round two of, of this large event. And you finally make top cut at the event and then you, you lose out in top 16 or whatever. Mm -hmm. It's not a great feeling if you, if you think of it that way. Yeah. So that's why I try and now I try and focus on like just, just the moment, any small event, any small win, is is all all that matters really like i know going back into uh online i tried to to really like even though i, I was making top cut at all of these uh, like events at the start of the the season uh even before like the limitless era mm -hmm. um i when, when i made top cut i was happy i was just happy that i i was making top cut that was that was my only goal i didn't even care that i was winning the, the tournament as soon as i was past that past yeah. those swiss rounds it was all good for me. So I, I, I think that mindset really helped me stay away from burnout this year, especially in, in a pretty awful format uh, <laughs> yeah, of at course. the beginning of the year. <laughs> for sure. Yeah. But making cut definitely feels like, it, you know, it validates your play um, regardless how you do after the fact, as long as you consistently get there it, it, and you have that mindset um, definitely could help um, stay away from that burnout feeling because I know the feeling of putting too much pressure on yourself to win X event, um, even getting to worlds and then not doing as well as you'd like. Um, if you set your expectations way too high, you can definitely burn yourself out and emotionally drain yourself pretty easily. Yeah. And even if you're, you're like a new player and your, your goal doesn't have to be making top cut. It can just be to, to win a round or, or mm -hmm. just to, just to have fun, just to learn the deck. Oh, like sure. often in these these events, I go in with basically zero testing with with some some new idea, like I did with um, at the start of Chilling Rain. I was uh, really a huge fan of Urshifu and Telion. Yeah, and I kind of just used tournaments as my way to test the deck, um, and played that for like a week straight. I would just play in like everything kind of, mm -hmm. uh, and I I didn't make uh, top cut until like the the last couple days. Um, because my list was terrible, but that's <laughs> that that was my goal was just <clears throat> to get games in. So yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, we kind of talked about that a little bit uh last week where it was like when when we first started, my my initial goal was um to win a game because <laughs> the first couple tournaments I, I didn't do well and win a game and have fun with it. And then eventually, you know, just having a better um plus minus record, you know, more wins and losses, and then kind of just continuously growing on that goal. Um, so no, it's, it's refreshing that you kind of were, were mirroring that sentiment there. Yeah. I yeah mean, and also the, 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 sorry to interrupt. <laughs> I was going to say that the size of events is too, mm. like you can play in, you can play in really small events if you, you want to, or go for the big ones either way. 
it oh, helps you build your your skill for sure. So yeah, what, what were you gonna say, Chuck? I was just gonna say I really I enjoyed like I really liked his sentiment, like what you were saying though, in the, in that you don't play the game to to like you can't put your mindset on on the end championship as your only mm -hmm. goal. Like you have to stay in the moment. Like you have to you know play that regional, stay in that regional, and and then celebrate the fact that you won that regional and experience that moment and then a day later or two days two days later then you focus on the next step like you have to stay in the step that you're at it's not just one end step oh, and then sure. you're just grinding the whole way that will burn you out like yeah you definitely need to um enjoy the journey um and and you can definitely enjoy the end destination when you get there but if you don't enjoy the journey what's the point <laughs> yeah and even like at, uh, I got like for winning the regional, uh, basically my like sort of winning into worlds was, was like the final round of that regional. So I was, if I made top cut, I would make worlds too. Mm -hmm. Um, so, uh, that was, that was really nice being, being like over that at the time I won the regional, but at the same time, like the regional gives you, a uh, like the first two rounds, you get a buy at the, at the former us nationals now it's yeah. internationals but i i really i didn't test for for nationals at all and i i kind of strolled up with a with a deck that probably wasn't great <laughs> and i didn't do well because my i was so focused on worlds at that point mm -hmm. that i i really didn't take uh hold of that opportunity yeah yeah i mean i mean lesson learned i i'm sure um whenever these come out um uh in the future that you'll uh You'll be prepared as well um, for each step of that journey. Um, but let's go on into our standard set of questions that we ask everybody on the first time here uh, on the podcast. Sorry for that tangent there, but I, I felt it was important to kind of go down that road. Um, but let's go ahead and start that first one with your favorite starter Pokemon. Yeah, so my favorite part starter Pokemon is Snivy. Um, mm. It's kind of a, a unique pick, but... Uh, I, Gen 5 was really when I, I started like getting into the game. I'd always like kind of knew about Pokemon, but mm -hmm. uh, I never really grew up with it until um, like people at uh, my like school started like playing the, the DS games and bringing cards. And I was uh, really fascinated with them. And I, I'm, I always like snakes. Um, so <laughs> Snivy's like a, like a, a leaf snake thing. And that's, I don't know, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> For sure. That's <laughs> Nick's usually the one that keeps track, but I'm pretty sure that's the first Snivy I've heard. So yes, no, but it's always good to have unique answers. You can't have everybody saying Blastoise or uh, Squirtle like me. Like I'm just uh, such a vanilla answer, right? The Squirtle. And, and you, you said it because as soon as you said Snivy, and I was like, all right, so Jake likes snakes, like because that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> for sure. All right, Chuck, you want to get the next one? All right, uh, the next one we're gonna go with just your favorite. Pokemon in general across the whole gamut? Sableye, 100%. So <laughs> I think uh, I the the way I got into competitive was um, uh, my friend uh, Emery Taylor, uh, who like lot, everybody should know by now for uh, getting second at uh, NAIC a couple years ago. Uh, we, we sort of uh, like grew up together in, in the competitive space. Uh, he had been playing for a couple years before me uh, and I met him at locals and he kind of uh, set me up with, uh, uh, he and a, a friend from my my school kind of set me up with a competitive deck. And the first one was uh, Dark Red Garbodor, uh, 
um, mm -hmm. in uh, in like the the plasma blast format. And Sableye was a huge part of that deck. Uh, and then after that, uh, Sableye control was uh, a big like kind of my stepping stone into the the realm of control, which is one of my favorite play styles uh, in the game. So that that like introduction from the card space it has meaning there and i also just like the the, the purple little goblin that sits <laughs> in a cave i kind of relate to that <laughs> sometimes that's awesome yeah we'll definitely get into like the control deck and archetype stuff uh, a little bit later dan on, into the podcast um but no i love that i don't think anybody else has picked sableye for their favorite pokemon so again um staying unique this is awesome <laughs> sableye is definitely a unique one uh, i like that choice so. oh yeah the only experience i have with sableye currently is the sableye v with the apple drop appleton deck pretty fun deck i wouldn't say it's like meta but it's it's definitely one out there that if you just want to play a fun deck and kill kill a few um you know a few minutes that's one i would suggest to play but let's go ahead and go into the next one. Uh, favorite Pokemon card. Now, this can be any reason. It can be for competitive reasons. It can be for art. Um, it could have won you something or anything like that. So what's your favorite card in the game? Yeah, so I guess it, it's kind of a, a tie almost between the, the Junk Hunt Sableye that was in that um, in those decks. But mm -hmm. I'll also mention uh, Seismitoad EX. Uh, kind of the the thing that that got me all the all the results uh like i, I owe to seismitoad ex it was uh kind of the basically going to the like the 2015 season uh it was kind of just seismitoad was everywhere and i i kept losing i i was playing a like a, a lucario ex like fighting box kind of deck mm -hmm. uh kept losing to toad i switched over to uh switched between a lot of things and just could not beat seismitoad so just one day i, I just decided like if, if you can't beat them join them <laughs> for sure <laughs> and then yeah and then i just uh kept going from there and and kept seeing results with the deck and i really like uh my my favorite play style is really the uh attacking control uh or like mid-range in magic the term is where you 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 kind of you take control of the the speed of the game mm -hmm. uh like rather than the the prize race uh and i really like that aspect with seismitoad that um it really slowed down the game and let you uh make a lot more there's a lot more decision making going on when a game is 20 turns long compared to four or five yeah yeah agreed again we're we're kind of let's just sneak preview of of, of things to come in the episode but uh, i i agree with that sentiment 100 percent all right, I get the I get to go into the the one you get the fun one fun answer. What is the worst card in Pokemon? Uh, again, uh, you can use any reasoning whether it's uh, it ruins your day one day, the art is terrible, or it just has a really bad ability. Bad whatever you think, <laughs> yeah, whatever whatever you want to go with. Yeah, I mean, this is difficult for I guess like for for of all time, it's it's really hard for me to to decide. There's a lot of there's a lot of things, but recently in my, my least favorite card in the game has uh, been Dedenne GX um, because it's, it combined with, with professor's research, it just enables you to just burn your, burn through your whole deck in, in those three to four turns. Oh, yeah. Resource management is kind of non-existent with three prizes. And that's like my biggest quarrel with them. And Dedenne really enables that a lot. So I'm happy to see that going soon. I can't agree more. Being able to Dene to, to research or to Crobat or any of those 
you know, possibilities uh, or um, combinations. Going through half your deck in one turn, um, like you said, does not lead to a lot of decision making. It's more just hope you get what you need and win early. And that kind of, uh, again, we'll go, we'll get into all that a little bit later, but I think is a little unhealthy for the game. Yeah. I mean, I think that's the first time someone said to Dene uh, yeah. uh, for this answer, but I do like it because that was one of the things like I'm, I'm newer to Pokemon, but that was one of the things that I realized uh, when I got into the Pokemon, because I've played other uh, TCGs, including magic and other things like that. And then like, when I got into it, like the Dene was out and then the speed at which you just throw through, like blow through your deck with the Dene in it is, was like not what I've seen when it comes <laughs> to trading card games. And then you just literally just blow through and then find whatever you want. And it was a little bit of a different take to trading card game for me. So yeah, for I, sure. I see where yeah. you get with that. Yeah. I think Pokemon's always been uh, like, probably the the fastest tcg in terms of like refreshing your hand mm -hmm. uh because like magic and, and stuff like that you 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 can expect to keep your hand for for like a couple turns before it all your cards are gone but in pokemon like by the end of your opponent's turn you can't even expect to have the same cards yeah. um and i think or right now the speed of of the game is really most similar to to base set actually and i think there's uh like it's really telling why people have problems with this format when with base set, they were going into it like completely untested and, and really moved away from those fast trainer engines so quickly so that they could have evolution Pokemon succeed. Uh, because back then, like the, the, the trainer engines of all these decks, like you could, you could draw your deck in one turn pretty easily. <laughs> yeah. And, and it made these big basics like so much more powerful than everything else. And they, they really moved away from that as soon as, as soon as the first standard format happened, they they rotated out all those old cards. So it's kind of unfortunate to see see that creep back into the game. Yeah, I yeah I can agree more. Again, uh, uh, more more to talk about in the you know the the latter part of the episode. Um, we do have an extra question today, um, and I know before we started uh, recording, you said you don't really play um, Unite too much, but this is uh, but you said you you've watched quite a bit. So, what would be your main uh, your main Pokemon in Unite? Yeah, so I think either Mr. Mime or Eldegoss, because mm -hmm. I just really like annoying people. <laughs> yeah. and I, I feel like they're, they do a pretty good job at that in the, in the game. You kind of, you control the tempo in case, in some cases. And yeah. I, I really enjoy that. I know playing against Mr. Mime a few times, um, you know, when I got a little bit greedy or, or aggressive on trying to like push his own and then I'm like, okay, time to retreat. And then he just throws that wall in front of you and you're stuck. And then at that point you just die um yeah it's it's a very annoying pokemon to play against and i think you hit that right that nail right on the head yeah but all right so that was gonna that's gonna wrap it up for our standard set of questions and let's go ahead and jump into our whimsy watch hello and welcome to another fantastic whimsy watch where we have a look at the meta and this week we do it in the form of a tier list all right I'm going to go ahead and call this meta Salt. Shadow Rider Calyrex has dominated the meta since its release in June, and it has yet to withdraw its hold of the BDIF crown. So hopefully, Picaram will go quietly into the night and pass that title on. So, like I said, Shadow Rider Calyrex is clearly S tier and is at the top in, the, in a class of its own. 
This really doesn't need any more explanation. We all know what the deck does and does it well. So let's look at those A tier decks. Decks fully capable of winning a tournament when piloted with skill and laser focus. Let's go ahead and start with Eternatus. Consistency and speed. If Eternatus has those, it's a true force in the meta. It can keep up with any of those decks. Uh, also in this list, I have Rapid Strike Urshifu, especially the one with Inteleon. Uh, here the math openings and the spread options are phenomenal. There is a reason why Mew, you know, the bench barrier Mew is an inclusion in almost every deck, and that's because of Rapid Strike Urshifu. Also in this list, we got Ice Strike, or Ice Rider Calyrex. The skill level required for Ice Rider is probably higher than any other ones, but its potential is probably even higher than all the other ones as well. Once you unlock the sequencing of the Inteleon line Sobble Drizzles with the Max Lances, the deck can just pop off sometimes. I have one more deck that's A tier, and that's going to be uh, the ADP with Moltres. Now, the counter deck to all the other S and A tier decks. I mean, it should look on paper S tier, and the ADP Moltres kind of does, because you're like, it's going to beat everything. But if it's falling to A tier because consistency. It needs to be consistent, and ADP can do those ADP things where it just wins, but it also can just kind of gunk up a little bit, because it needs to do certain things. So those are going to be my top tier decks in the meta at the moment. So we had five total, four A's, one S. Now with rotation on the horizon, this is sure to be evolving shortly. Hint, hint, wink, wink. Now, I have one deck which I will be putting in a B tier all by itself, and that is Loop Metal. This thing will still go out and steal a tournament, but player skill and experience is a must. You're not going to pick up Loop Metal on a whim and be like, I'm going to go win a tournament with Loop Metal. It's probably going to frustrate you more if you try and do that. But people that have stuck with it and it's been around for a while and keep playing it are still seeing tournament wins and good performance with it because it is a good deck but just requires a lot of skill and experience with it. Alright, that's going to be my Chilling Rain meta tier list. We're going to stop at B, there's no reason to go more. If you didn't hear your deck mentioned here, it's because it's a rogue option to me. Uh, you're going to be at the bottom of the barrel, it, it may win but it's going to be few and far between. So with that... That's going to end the Whimsy Watch for this week, and let's go ahead and throw it back to the cast. All right, Chuck, good job as always, my friend. All right, so let's go ahead and get into the news. So, uh, unfortunately, this week we don't have a lot of news compared to last week. Yeah. Um, we just have some products coming out, and they're not even actual the cards. It's just um, we have that Ultra Pro um elite series accessories featuring pikachu so we have the the binder we have the 12 pocket uh zipped binder we got the nine pocket uh pro binder and then the deck box that deck box looks pretty cool in my opinion i don't know if i would be willing to you know shell out 22 bucks for that but i i mean it looks pretty nice you guys have any uh opinions on these binders or deck boxes I mean, they always have some pretty cool um, designs and, and, and themed products. So, I mean, they're all pretty neat. Uh, there's just always a lot of them. So there's, you yeah. got to find the ones you like. Yeah, if you, you went can. after every single, like, 
you know, product they put out there, um, you'd go broke really, really fast. Um, but on top of that Pikachu, we also have, there's a bunch of Wulu stuff. So we got a play mat, we've got deck box, we've got, um, got sleeves um, and all that kind of fun jazz um, on top of having the snom with the same, uh, you know, deck box sleeves, um, mat and all that kind of stuff. They're all really interesting. But again, um, if you're going to go jump out and spend all this money on all their products, you might not have enough for, for the cards <laughs> when it comes time to that you got to get your ice type thematic stuff for your ice rider deck so for sure that for you sure. don't you i'm always deck. always pretty hesitant about buying uh like the the fancy sleeves and stuff because i know i'll just end up wrecking them at the first tournament i go to if, yep. I, if I try to put them on a deck so i always kind of hold out for the ones i, I really want to want to keep for for like putting putting exs or gx whatever yeah. in the, the the ultra rares in the in the sleeves for sure to, to keep them to, yeah 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 i've also seen people in the past where they'll they'll find you know whatever set at that time come out and obviously any pokemon player knows that the the sleeves that come out from the pokemon company while they may look really cool their quality is not nearly as good as others um so i've seen people that will like take like the marnie for example um and then put like a, a a second sleeve over it and at that point your deck is like a mountain instead of like a deck so then it becomes just so hard to shuffle um but they you know they want to protect those those awesome sleeves but i guess it's just uh your preference all right but yeah, that's, um, uh, I know you wanted the spearhead this one, Chuck. Well, no, I just want to let's just let's move into the meat and and uh, let's start picking um, Jake's head here on some deck building and stuff because he talked about earlier how you um, you know you competed at Worlds, you were a regional champion, so we really wanted to like get your uh, thoughts on deck building and and things like that because there's a lot re more recently that's a lot of the things that you. Uh, focus on is is deck building and things of that nature and uh, one of the big things that you did was you made uh, pokegear.app uh, which is a really nice deck builder and showing off your your deck so I was wondering like what was uh, your like drive behind that or thought process going into getting that done yeah so I kind of uh, at the end of like last year I was kind of like I was looking for um, really deck builder uh, app. So I, I I was starting to get into like retro a bit at that point, and there's really not there wasn't a great like app for for building decks that was as convenient as uh, like I think as as many flaws P PTCGO has. It's like deck building uh, kind of like filter selection and stuff like that. It's, it's pretty good. Mm -hmm. um, so I kind of wanted to to be able to have that same sort of thing for uh, for retro decks that I, I was starting to make. Um, and also there were uh, like PTCGO, you, you can't have, um, like you can't sort your own deck. It always it always ends up looking wonky with um, the, uh, like the, the, the trainers and things are all out of order. Uh, and so, so I really, I really wanted, like, I, I'm kind of, uh, I really like things organized when it comes to Pokemon. So I wanted, uh, uh, a way to be able to to use uh, to create decks in a more um, uh, in as easy way as you can on PTCGO while also being able to have um, all the cards available to you and 
not need to own the cards uh, like on PDCGO. And, and yeah, that's really where uh, it led me to that. And I also was uh, just kind of looking for something to, to do with my, my spare time. Cause I'm uh, I've always uh, loved programming and uh, this was a, a great opportunity to use kind of what I learned uh, about web development over the past few years. All right. So uh, that's great. And, and um, piggybacking off of that, another thing that I've noticed you, you doing a lot um, is just deck building comps, like competitions. Um, so getting other people to throw out their ideas and how to, how to build deck building, uh, how to build decks and, and, and offering a way to, you know, influence that creativity. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to ask you, like, what was your, like, what's your thought on that? And, and, and how are you liking doing that and everything like that? Yeah. So I posted like the, the first one and it just closed yesterday. Uh, the, the first deck building competition, it was, uh, on a format that, uh, I've been really loving. It's like a, a custom format called journey, which we can get into a bit later. Mm-hmm. Um, but really I think the, the, the main, the thing I'm most proud of in, in the TCG is really learning how to deck build and, and being like, I consider myself pretty good at it at this point. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think it's my, my strongest skill and it really takes, it takes a lot of time to, to get good at deck building and you have to really uh, spend in the hours, which uh, it, it's, it's pretty easy to like comparatively uh, like a new player can join the game and get really, really good at, at playing competitive um, but it really takes those years of learning all the cards to uh, to find to to be able to spot the combinations of, of cards that you need to uh, use for for what makes a good idea and also uh, how to make your deck consistent, mm-hmm. which is always the the struggle with deck building. So uh, I did that kind of uh, competition really as uh, I just wanted to have let people be able to showcase that that side of them without being pressured to, you know, make a, make a deck that would, uh, or perform with it in tournaments, but that you could also use it. Uh, you could just present your ideas and, uh, and I really, really enjoyed how that turned out. So taking back off of that, um, so everybody's making these decks, uh, and, and there are probably lots of interesting ones that you see now you say this is kind of a competition. So is there a way you kind of judge that or, or you're saying, Oh, that seems like the, the most interesting kind of deck combination or consistency or, is, or how do you go about that? Yeah. So I decided on four cr- uh, criteria that I would use to, to judge them. Uh, so the, the first one was archetypal creativity uh, for like this, for this journey format, there's basically like endless number of good decks. It's, it's really, really diverse. Um, and so I was looking for, for decks that uh I wanted wanted decks that, that weren't always the the standard ones that everybody played, mm-hmm. um, and so so that that was kind of the the first criteria I would give points for for decks that that were unknown, but also in uh, another criteria was viability. Mm-hmm. Uh, what I think was is competitively viable. You don't have to prove it by by uh, participating in a tournament, uh, which is the the benefit of doing just this deck building competition. Um, but I still wanted something that was that was creative but viable at the same time and kind of balancing those. Mm-hmm. And then uh, two more factors were consistency. Uh, always, it, it's really hard to to make decks consistent. So rewarding those those players who really know how to make their decks super consistent. 
And then innovativity, which is uh, for individual cards, I counted more as uh, from archetypal creativity, where if there were any uh, like combinations of cards that, that were kind of unused in the format or, or text that could be uh, meant for specific matchups. Um, like uh, I know a, a few weeks ago, I found this Gorbis that would uh, prevent all damage done to it by evolutions. So there was this, there's this really popular Gyarados deck, which is sort of the ADP of the format, mm -hmm. but it only plays Gyarados as the attacker. So if you just slap in the the one one Gorbis and the and a Rainbow Energy, you just auto the deck. So looking for those kind of combinations, uh, that they were really creative, and the the winner ended up like fulfilling all four of those categories with like, flying colors. That's awesome. No, that's definitely something I definitely want to maybe start participating in myself because I feel that as a player that's coming into like year two of playing, I feel that I can pilot most meta decks um, pre pretty good um, and my winning percentage on, on uh, you know, locals and then even uh, with like limitless uh, events, uh, you know, above 500. I wouldn't say I'm like the best player in the world and I'm definitely improving, but like getting to deck building and maybe can separate myself um in the future so that's something that i'm i'm looking forward to maybe even jumping into to see if i how how my deck building skills um you know equate to everybody else's yeah and it's it's really uh you can you can improve a lot from getting good at deck building because uh when you're when you're just net decking or taking other people's lists you can you can really learn why why their list works or, or why the opponent's lists work in, in a metagame, but you don't really see the, the, the process between every single card count. Yeah. Um, and so at the point where, where you're just adjusting for, for tech cards and things, that's, that's pretty easy for uh, a good competitive player to pick up, but uh, learning like what, what makes shadow rider better than that, that Sableye flapple deck, you can really tell from a, a deck building perspective that they're, like issues with the the Sableye deck that just don't exist with uh with yeah. the the Shadow Rider deck that you you might not automatically be able to see um from just a a player's perspective. Yeah, for sure. Now before we move on from that, I the one card or or line of cards that uh that come to mind whenever I like first started and Sword and Shield came out, I was such a big proponent of the Sobble and Teleon line with Shady Dealings, and it never really caught on until this last set. Um, and I don't know exactly why, but I know, um, you know, we were really high on that card and it was always on my radar. And I've, I've had many uh, deck profiles on YouTube that ran that line before it got popular. Um, now, since you, you've been in the game a lot longer than me and, you know, deck building is your forte, what kind of was the difference or the catalyst to make that Sobble line, um, you know, really meta relevant currently as it is now. Um, you know, before this last set, it really wasn't seeing a lot of play. Um, what what kind of was the difference? Uh, do you do you think? Yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with just the the small number of turns per game in mm -hmm. most formats this year. So if you if you think about like an ADP deck they're going to GX turn one, they're going to boss, and then they're going to boss. So you have to win the game in that time. And mm -hmm. at that point, you're, you're, you're just setting up your drizzles. You're not, you're not going to even get value from the Intellions. You have to win by that point. Yeah. So most decks 
you you really you have to put on a lot of pressure in those those first turns and just grabbing one trainer card was not enough to do that like with yeah. pigram you you need your turn one uh, uh electrify then you got to get your your switch and your energy uh for your your full blitz and then you need uh then you need like a boss next turn a switch maybe a reset stamp some crushing hammers in the process to yeah. slow down eternatus and getting one card is really not going to help you there mm -hmm. um and then i i think uh there there could be some untapped potential of uh intellion in in the welder decks um mm -hmm. of path format uh specifically with victini because you can play like evolution incense in that deck but really with most welder decks you there there you weren't searching for evolutions so mm -hmm. playing playing intellion meant you also have to include search cards for it that you wouldn't already be playing and in that case just using the jirachi scoop of net engine um was usually enough to to find the one trainer card you needed which yeah. was welder um and so i think with chilling rain um it's not only the 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 snipe intellion but also just the types of decks that that were able to be used uh like urshifu and ice rider they're both decks that don't need to hit many cards yeah. and if they hit the specific cards that they need they're 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 set yeah. so if you have a, a card that just lets you search exactly for the card you want the one or two cards you need per turn that's that's all you need from from that engine and then with urshifu in the the previous format uh usually chinchino or jirachi was was better because uh the focus was really on uh gale thrust most of the time uh chinchino would let you be able to share more often yeah uh, because you can draw draw through those which is a flaw of the intellion engine it's really hard to be able to to share consistently uh, because you also need to find switching and energy cards in the same turn um, and then the the Jirachi of Pass Format would really just help you reset the Gale Thrust as as quickly and efficiently as possible. But now with more of a focus on GMAX Rapid Flow, um, with the the Players Cup winning list playing uh, like those two Karate Belts, you know, there's Passimian, Telescopic Sight. People are playing. Uh, it's you you need a lot less uh, to be able to to get going. You don't need those switching cards anymore. You just need to hit the the, the energy attachment per turn and then set up your uh your passimian or, or your tool card or and, and intellion can grab those yeah no that that's a great answer uh, and without side tangent too much here um with it being a slower engine with the intellion uh shady dealings do you see that as a um a good sign for the format to uh you know the future of the format or do you think it's uh, it's kind of not as good um for for the game design aspect of of having this slower kind of methodical uh draw draw search i think these these slower strategies would be like very much welcome for the game but i don't really see them expanding much it's these urshifu and ice rider decks are really teetering on the edge mm -hmm. of this intellion being the right way to go with post rotation you lose to Dene, so there's also a bit more reason like a bit more justification and also jirachi a bit more justification for these decks if they didn't have it already yeah um for these these intellion engines because the, you're you're just at the the right number of turns where they can work like three turns is too little but four turns you you can get value out of them yeah so i think if the 
if the game were able to slow down a lot more, the you'd see Inteleon engines in, in basically everything. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's just most decks still aren't aren't able to uh like in in a game you, you really wanna um access all of your deck. You wanna you wanna prioritize drawing like a certain percentage of your deck every turn. Yeah. Um if, if you want to get full value out of your list. So uh, if the if the game if the if decks need uh, to draw their their full deck in in four or five turns, the Intellion's not going to cut it. But if they get ten turns to draw all their cards, Intellion would be perfect. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. Um, and you said it best. Those two decks um, definitely are the, those kind of uh, archetypes that welcome that Intellion line. All right. Uh, so let's go ahead and I actually wanted to ask you kind of, it's just a two-part question. Um, and so with the whole deck building, um, do you like have a specific like mindset and how you establish or, or going into making a deck in an established meta? Um, are you trying to just look for like specific tech? So, so like say one week, like X deck is doing well, um, but you might, you know, find a couple techs how do you kind of go about um trying to up or improve the deck for the metagame going into the pre or the net the next week um if that made any sense to you <laughs> yeah yeah i think in a in established in an established metagame it's really hard to uh especially like that at the speed of of things right now it's really hard to to innovate um but there is room for it and i think a lot of it uh helps if you if you're aware of previous formats what's worked in the past all often comes up working again at some point um and i've been really getting into old formats and retro decks this year uh and you you see a lot of more a lot more patterns of of things that that end up working again um so i think i think like one of those right now is is really that that rapid strike sable is is seeing so much use and that really harkens back to the the days of um the the Dunsparce, the strike and run Dunsparce, which had the same had the same attack. And that was kind of in every deck because on turn one, the the deck that really set up their their stage ones on turn two was the the deck that was going to win. And and so so that that Sobble um is is really similar to there because it lets you set up set up your entire engine in one attack. Um, and I think seeing those those patterns is really helpful but also just knowing the the card pool and it it takes uh it it's very daunting for for new players to be able to learn such a large card pool especially when it comes to like a expanded like there's there's a lot of great players uh like cash vander singman one of the greatest players in, in online he yep. he's famously not a fan of expanded because there's just so much going on it, it takes so long to learn um, and so I, I think that that's one one thing that if you if you want to see these these find these tech cards and and uh, stuff like that, it's really it's really important to just know the whole carpool. Yeah, that could, that takes a lot of just time and, and just you know getting familiar with everything, especially in expanded, like you said, um, to to learn all that stuff. But um, so going into new metas, is there any strategies or or any kind of guidelines you normally use for yourself to try to find like a, maybe a new deck um, or like engine, like how to, how to make that work? 
Yeah, so I'm actually in the process of writing an article right now on exactly that uh, for uh, just deck building in, in custom format specifically, because those really allow you to uh, find untapped like potential for for archetypes and, and really look at it from a mindset of there there aren't actually there aren't many people looking at this format. So what can you there's this so there's a lot that you can find yourself um, to discover. And that'll be going up on on uh, the PTCGO store uh, site in a, a week or two. Uh, you can read there. Um, but uh, I'll give a, a a bit of a rundown on, on my process. So I think the the first thing I always do is look at the trainer engine or the the trainer cards in in the format because they're going to be consistent through throughout every deck. Mm-hmm. Like you see, you see right now, every deck is running for research for Marnie, three or four boss and four quick balls. So if you know, and, and four, four switching cards. Yeah. So if you know that those are the cards you're going to have to build around, it's a lot easier to move into uh, the Pokemon because you'll know the speed that at what you can draw through your deck. So if, if the supporter options are really limited, um, like in that, that journey format, uh, which I was mentioning, which I can give a little more on it's it's sun and moon on with like a pretty extensive ban list okay uh that makes it a much slower format uh a lot very similar to 2004 um where you have um erica's hospitality is the best draw supporter in the format um and copycat is also a really huge card so it's uh you're really relying on your opponent setup to draw mm-hmm. faster so if your opponent is not doing well uh you're not doing well either because you can only draw two cards uh so it's it's uh it's really you, you can't you can't rely on these uh strategies that need to hit uh three to four card combos every turn to work so you can you can figure that out from looking at the trainers. Uh, then I then I usually take a, a quick look at the energies. Usually this is just to to find things like DCE or triple acceleration energy, just to to get like context context of like if if DCE wasn't legal, like Zoroark probably wouldn't be anywhere near as good as it was um, in in like the 2018 mm-hmm. season as dominant. Uh, so just knowing that, like, you know, you can attach to this Pokemon for one energy and do 120 right away, that that's really good context for looking at cards. And then the the number one thing I do when looking at the Pokemon and deciding what I'm going to try and build is to find this this magic number, what I like to call, where it's the number of, like, the, the number you need to hit in the format. So right now it's, the number is, uh, and especially post-rotation, that number is 320. The mm-hmm. HP of most VMAXs, every deck in some way revolves around that number. So you're either one hit KOing VMAXs, you're or you're two hit KOing them, or somehow you're you're stalling them out mm-hmm. uh, so that they they so that like with loop metal right now, where you're you're trying to reduce their numbers so that you can eventually stall them out and hit those numbers in the long run. So if you can if you can spot that number and usually if if you can find like a best deck in the format, usually the number is like the HP of that Pokemon. Yeah. Like in in the in the journey format, uh the best deck is is pretty uh clearly Gyarados, which it's just it's uh the Gyarados from Team Up. It's just a very dominant deck that doesn't take much skill to play. Hopefully they're they're banning it in the next next ban wave mm-hmm. uh with evolving skies to to see more diversity, but it's the the HP of the Gyarados is 150. So the number in the in the metagame is 150. You see every deck 
every good deck is able to hit that number um or or spread damage spread is kind of the, the one exception so there's uh the gardevoir from chilling rain is really good because for three psychics it, it hits 150 um then the the zapdos from team up is is also pretty good it doesn't hit 150 but it it hits 150 in two hits. Mm-hmm. So, and then it also has ways to, to one hit KO the Gyarados in the long run. So all these decks there, and then there's, there's a, a Metagross deck, which kind of tanks hits. So it, yeah. it's got 170 HP. So you're, you're above that number. So you're considered a, a tanky deck. <laughs> um, so even though it only hits 120, it's going to be able to survive or 60, 120. It's the, the Stevens one where the attack gets stronger for the more yeah. attacks you yeah. use. So even though it's only hitting a small amount of damage, it's it's surviving those hits and you can heal them off with max potion. So like really finding that that number is kind of the most crucial thing when you're you're trying to look at a new format. Oh, those are that's no, that's a very amazing breakdown. Um definitely something to to really ponder. Um no. never never thought of that that way. Um, well, I mean as as- I I I I I have ex- like not experience but but i mean that was the experience earlier in this year or even like towards the tail end of last year where the magic number was 280 because you needed mm-hmm. to be able to do something about adp mm-hmm. like before that's true um before the the rapid like battle styles and rapid strike urshifu and that big change came and that was the number to hit you had to be able to do something with adp but after he altered creations before he so that the number to hit was 280 somehow yeah and, and also in these these three prizer formats since it's so fast you can look at the game in really like a number of turns like a step-by-step you can break down your deck i need to hit 280 on turn two if i can't do that my deck's not good so i can rule out all of these these right away yeah and then turn three i need to expect to get my uh either either my support pokemon boston knocked out or, or this this is going to knock out my active, and I need to be able to respond. So I need to be able to do two eighty turn two, then two thirty, and then maybe I get a turn to to sit back and relax, <laughs> unless they hit the crazy metal saucers uh, before I need to do two thirty again. And maybe at that point I can use my spit shot from the Cramorant to mm-hmm. to take out their Dedenne. Yeah, all yeah, those are that's all a very fair point. Um, and kind of was a that's. That was a solved point at that or a solved meta at that point towards the end um but let's go ahead and kind of just transition into the into to the game design you just said three prizers um so how, how do you feel in the game design uh, aspect that three prizes or how do you feel that a three prizer fits in uh, is it good for the game bad for the game kind of indifferent I think it's absolutely terrible for the game. Uh, and there's a, there's a lot of reasons why. Um, and, uh, Xander Perot is a really great player. He, he posted a, a long thread on, on Twitter a while back where he really uh, detailed this a lot. But it, it's basically three prizes make the game so much faster. And when, there's, when the game's faster, there's less decision-making overall. For If, if, you're, if you're playing a game that's four turns, you only have to make like 15 or like i guess you can you can basically assume that you're making like uh two or three like critical decisions per turn um 
since the, the game is fast, you, you make more of those critical decisions per turn. So it might be like three critical decisions per turn, but that's only 12 in a four turn game. And if mm-hmm. you're only making one to two critical decisions, but the game is 14 turns long, you're you're way past that number. So there's a lot more skill expression yeah. in a format that is slower. So yeah, I, I think that's that's the main reason. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. Um, how would you go about um, kind of, phasing them out and do you think pokemon is going to phase them out i i'm worried that they're <laughs> just gonna uh, I, i'm kind of looking towards the the legends arceus game or, or the the diamond and pearl remake in case they if they add some gimmicky mechanic mechanic in there that's like mm-hmm. your your one pokemon per game can do xyz <laughs> then then i'm worried that they're gonna make that a three prizer again but oh, uh, i think i think the if they if they do stop printing three prizes, and I also like the the V unions a lot. I think they're very balanced, uh, and I think in a game where where there were no uh, V maxes and maybe not even two prizes, like if if one prizes and two prizes could uh, sort of so there's there's also another aspect of, of these three prize Pokemon, which is uh, resource management in a game where your your main attacker, let's say Eternatus V max, attacks for two energy and you need to evolve it once. You only need uh, the, the basic Eternatus, the, the evolution, you need two of those, and then you need four more energy. So that's, you need six, you need six cards per game. That's all the resources you need. You don't need anything else. You need to like dump your bench with things, mm-hmm. but it doesn't, doesn't really matter if you like delete your entire deck because you already have your six cards that you need to win the game and you either win or lose. So uh, really, the, the reason single prizes are so bad right now, even though single prizes, they should theoretically trade super favorably with VMAXs, as long as you hit the 160 or 170 number with your single prize, you're, you're out trading VMAXs. Yeah. But the problem is that single prizes cost so much more in resources. You need like at least like at minimum three cards to to set up your your attacker yeah. and then you usually usually need like some support engine on your bench to be able to to consistently chain them so like if you think of the uh, about the the rapid strike malamar deck mm-hmm. even though like it, it it theoretically should be like crazy good in, in in a void because you're you're hitting these these 170 numbers consistently it's not hard to to shuffle in uh, like five or six cards from your hand every turn, but uh, it just costs so much to set them up that you're going to fall so behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and these VMAXs can switch, you can switch between them. So you have to find like the boss's orders or the Pokemon catchers that are going in them in the Malamar decks right now to be able to, to compete with those. Um, just because it, if you take a hit, you're, like a, a, a multi-prizer is inherently more resource efficient than a than a, a single prizer because your yeah. your resources aren't getting deleted every turn. You don't have to set up a new attacker every turn. So if your your Calyrex has three energies on it, you can swing with that for one turn. Then next turn you can switch it out, put up the new Calyrex, swing again, and your opponent has to find a boss to take out the one that you just switched to the bench. Yeah. That's so much resources, but with V unions, they actually take up a lot of resources. You have to get them in the discard pile. They have high energy costs. They they're the main form of, of like intended acceleration is that first attack. Yeah. So you usually, you might need to burn a turn attacking with it. 
and you also have to play four copies in your deck which were that was a, a huge issue with tag teams is that you could just you could play two pikaram one uh one raichu raichu and you have your pikaram deck and it's yep. done uh where if you play four three copies of your your main attackers in any other format you're like it it just it never works but with these you, you only need two per game so like with the union the the deck slots that they take up it's it's really really crucial to making them balanced mm -hmm. because these single price decks need so much compared to three prizes yeah so kind of piggybacking off of the three prizer um versus one prizer um going forward how do you feel about spread decks like the Irsha food decks or anything like that um especially against those one prizers trying to compete um do you think that they're kind of like that gatekeeper where you, you're not going to see that malamar deck or or any other baby deck kind of see any prevalence because like you said all their support pokemon are probably low hp and probably getting knocked out you know, you know multiple pokemon per turn i think part of the reason is definitely urshifu um but i also think that single price decks really are so outclassed already that there there's really no chance for them even surviving like like you can you can get like if, if urshifu wasn't around you could get your your one tournament win uh with flaffy zekrom where you just paralyze the 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 people but then they'll just put switch in the deck and you'll 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 lose and then mm -hmm. if you're you're playing the rapid strike malamar deck you you might high roll occasionally but the 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 basic uh shadow rider is going to gatekeep your your deck already um and then uh what else is there there's the um like the cinderace deck i think is the the one that has like the the most potential could have could have seen success yeah um but urshifu is there unfortunately preventing it but at the same time i think um i don't think that that deck would have been able to uh, be at the top of the format like Urshifu can. And I think Urshifu being at the top is overall a positive for, for as bad as the format is. Urshifu does take a bit more skill than the rest of the, the decks to play. I agree. So having that on top is is pretty important to keeping the game, keeping the game alive through this dark period, I guess. Yeah. I mean, to, to piggyback what you're saying on like the single prizes, I noticed the, the biggest thing is that they can come out and they can come out and swing if the deck works kind of like you know you hit the nuts or however you want to say it your your game plan like starts going like especially with rapid strike malamar which i have the most experience playing like if that thing is just starts you get your board set up you can cycle cards and do big damage to v maxes and trade well but if you have a slow start because of those like you said the much more uh resource and in intensive deck behind rapid strike malamar is that like a vmax deck will just keep rolling over it and you can never get them going which mm -hmm. is the biggest thing like holding them down yeah normally it's it's been like the the other way around in the past like i you can think back to the the team up metagame where zapdos was a pretty big uh big deck where like really it's its strategy was kind of you you didn't have to play many cards you could have really explosive turns with electro powers but mm -hmm. just hitting that 80 damage or, or one time with choice band consistently was was all you needed to to stay ahead in the early game so that you could compete with these multi prizes the big hp things that are more normally more resource efficient but 
in in the end the the multiprizers are the ones that cost more resources where now it's kind of the the roles reversed yeah where the 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 single prizers are are the ones taking up all the all the resources and that that trade just doesn't work out favorably and i think like that that high rolling is like a a, a pretty pretty big aspect of of why like these these single prize decks can work in theory but don't in practice is like you could theoretically just if if you were high rolling you could expect to high roll every game you could slap four to dene in the in the rapid strike malamar deck and and put your one octillery and just dene into six rapid strike cards and and, and one more off the octillery and and just swing every turn and that's all you need to win the game but because you have to set up those those support pokemon to be able to to win it it's just too difficult i think if if they if they reprinted a card like um like the the there's the the Uxie from from the diamond pearl era uh, which had the the same uh setup uh ability as as crobat or shaman ex but mm-hmm. uh, could drop to seven um but then you you also like limit it so that only single prize decks can use it like you can only use the ability uh, if you only have single prize Pokemon in play, then the Malamar deck could work because you could play like four scoop up net and just uh, play your play your Uxies down and then uh, burn a couple cards that aren't rapid strike, pick them up, put them down, just fill your hand until you have seven rapid strike cards and swing every turn. Um, and that that would work because because your your engine to attack is also the same engine that lets you set up. Mm-hmm. But in here, you have to set up your your extra Chinchinos to draw extra cards that you don't even need to set up your Malamars. Like you could build your deck to to set up Malamars, but you also have to build your deck up to be to be able to attack. So yeah. it's a lot more difficult. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree with that. It just at the moment, it, it is really rough for single prizers. Um, now, earlier you said your preferred style of play is control. How do you see kind of control going on, you know, uh, you know, after rotation? Well, I think after rotation right now, it's, it's, it's kind of in a, in an interesting spot. Control is always a, a deck where you have to, you have to know the metagame before you can really start to build a good control deck. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think there's a lot of potential for control, especially with Zorark and Milotic coming out in the next set. Um, I think personally that the control is the the best deck in the format or close to being it in the in the pog format the team up through evolving skies format um, because there's so many stage ones that Zork can take advantage of that have gone unused mm-hmm. uh, like you can instantly use that make him pay Persian to limit the opponent's hand to four just whenever you want you can prevent your hand from being ever disrupted with uh, the melodic replenish that whenever you need uh, control loses a lot in the next format, but at the same time, um, there's a lot of a lot of things that it, it does gain in the fact that uh, specifically the the metagame is going to be shifting exclusively to these three prizes mm-hmm. and low energy cost three prizes. So decks are not going to be playing high energy counts. So if you kind of have a, a consistent way of removing them all, like you'll you'll only have to remove uh, like seven or eight energy in a game, and you can win. Um, and then uh, there's other ways to deal with like the Calyrex decks, uh, like the Altaria plus Parasol will will deal with most of them. Yeah. Um, so I, I think there's 
this potential. And then also most decks uh, aren't going to be playing Switch anymore because, and already aren't right now because uh, Raichu Raichu is gone. So yeah. you can put your Tool Jammer on and then get uh, Galar Mine in play and, and your opponent's Crobat is stuck active for three turns while you can build your hand. Yeah. Um, so I think there's there's a lot a lot of potential for for more. I think I think control right now or in the in the past couple of years has not been in in the best place in terms of like my personal preference for control decks. I think my my favorite control decks are the ones where you really have to be cautious about your own resources. You you have to play the resource war with your opponent and also beat them at that like exclusively the resource war. Um, so I think my favorite control deck is probably Sylveon control because you had limited resources. You didn't have uh, any way besides the, the Twilight GX Gardevoir, mm-hmm. you could shuffle 10 cards back in, but once that was done, your, your resources are limited. You only have, uh, so many and you have to beat your opponent with those cards individually. And I think control will be moving more towards that in the future even though we have slurpuff to recover resources i don't feel that that's going to be a, a huge part of control or like a main strategy you could use that occasionally to um just have access to specific cards because um like it, your discard pile is is really neat and that you can like just be able to to pick anything you want from it mm-hmm. um have access to that uh is nice but the you don't really need to recover resources much to make like a, a lock kind of strategy. It, it was relying heavily on on Rototiller at the moment, like with Excadrill. So you're you're saying it's going to need to kind of go back to the drawing board where you're not going to be recovering as many things and just kind of have to execute as you. Yeah, go. and I, I think for for like the first time, it's it's really in, in a while it'll be possible to do that, um, where. Like we, we, yeah, because uh, like in, in the recent times, the uh, like tag teams and, and things have like the, the Dedenes and Crobats and stuff like that, you're, you're able to draw so much and thin so many cards that like when you need to and uh, hit exactly what you need that it's, it's not always possible to play that, that resource war without trying to make a, a combo. Uh, like there's the, like the extra draw hand lock combo is really powerful because it, it'll get it'll bypass that and then also you have uh munchlax to be able to munchlax is a a bit more of the the type of deck i like but in in that same time it's really like a a switch mill deck uh Mm -hmm. where you're you you're looping those alolan mucks uh to mill your opponents uh specifically switching cards um we're in the in the future i think it'll be a bit more well-rounded uh where you can play on both an energy denial front and um because because the air balloons like being able to shut off air balloon is is uh pretty huge because like right now you you can your the energy cards you don't have to get rid of the energy cards in order to to lock something active you just got to mill the switch cards and then um with like absol and galler mine it's it's really easy to trap something active but Mm -hmm. in the future i think there you'll have to worry less about switch cards and worry more about energies because uh, it's it's harder to lock things in the active but at the same time it's it's harder for your opponent to to move things out of the active It, it costs them more resources it's not necessarily harder it just costs more yeah Okay, so I don't. We don't normally do this as far as like, um, hey, this is kind of an idea um, that we've had go to post rotation. Uh, but Chuck and I were talking about this the other day, um, 
with you know cards like uh, vigor shake um, on top of you know the wheezing that shuts off abilities um, and do you think that a that um like just a deck that shuts abilities off is going to be strong enough um, and then b um, our kind of idea to, to combo with that wheezing um, was the the crowbat v max so you can continuously have them in the active so like you just kind of hit and run and always have that wheezing in the active do you think that kind of strategy going forward might have kind of success or do you think it's just not good enough i don't think i think wheezing is is fairly good in mm. control specifically because um you can like in in the um, like the Rayquaza matchup, if you stick that in the active and trap your opponent's Flaffy mm -hmm. with a Galar Mine, that's like that's kind of devastating, shutting off their abilities, which are like they're so reliant on the the draw engine from the Rayquaza. I think Weezing will will see play in, in control, but I don't I don't really think that uh, Crobat's going to be enough because mm -hmm. the next format you can really think of it in the number of turns you need to win in still. Um, where like crowbat it, it's kind of like it, it doesn't crowbat's one of those decks where and like there's a lot of v maxes that you don't win in, in a specific number of turns you're mm -hmm. not looking to win in a number of turns you're looking you're looking to play a, a long game but i think most decks have a way way around that and for wheezing that's that's really boss's orders yeah. if your opponent can just boss the crowbat v max up uh and then uh underworld door four times and attached to their alchemy they're just blowing you up and then yep. they just do that twice and your crowbat's only doing 140 to a shadow rider and that's just that's not even enough yeah, yeah. no i agree, there's also, I agree. The, there's also rapid strike which can just hit your bench too so yeah <laughs> it is in a rough spot but we were just kind of trying to theorycraft like you said or you know with different kind of win conditions and and being able to ability block does seem good, but I I kind of agree as far as just that Crobat V uh, V Max isn't really going to do much as far as you know doing damage to win you your games early. So having a three prizer probably not the best combination with Weezing. Yeah, I think the there's actually the 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 Dracovish that locks evolutions. I think that might be a a little better because mm -hmm. if you if you go first and vigor shake with that then you're you're locking about your you're locking out your opponent's v maxes for like the entire game so if if you keep it in the active yeah. um then you're just playing against the 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 basics and that's a that's a lot easier and, and you can kind of build build a deck around that um but yeah i don't think that the wheezing is strong enough a lock um yeah to really make crowbat work yeah it's just I, we were thinking like I, I just was thinking that abilities are so prevalent that being able to turn those off would be before worthwhile. your opponent goes seems yeah. pretty good but there's still like we said we've we have but, professors research we've got we've got marty we've all these cards that they're probably going to still hit to yeah draw right. into their engine and yeah like abilities said, are <laughs> yeah abilities are super good and i think that there's going to be a lot of path decks but the the issue with wheezing is that you're not putting on any pressure mm -hmm. so your opponent has your opponent's deck which is designed to win in four turns has now 20 turns to win the game so eventually they're going to be able to, to do it just because their deck is so like has so much much power you can just uh like adornment with the alchemy mm -hmm. and then then boss and ko or urshifu can just sit there with 
like they can keep calling to put three Urshifu on the bench and keep switching between them until they draw what they need while you're only doing 70 damage per turn. Um, yeah. And then they got the the Rapid Strike Stadium to be able to heal that poison off. So like they can just switch between it for for way too many turns, even even evolve up into the Intellions without using the abilities just to have a wall with 150 HP mm-hmm. just sits in the active. And eventually they're going to draw energy VMAX boss and just win. Yeah, yeah. No, that was that was our, our, our kind of like concern, too, was that, I mean, Weezing can't do it by himself. So you definitely need something else with it, but for sure. So as far as, um, you know, games, going back to game design, um, we kind of touched on it a little bit, but you're, uh, you already kind of gave us our thought on V union, but what is your thought on the new fusion mechanic? I think it's, it's just another battle style. It'll be, it'll make a couple interesting decks, but it's nothing too crazy. Mm -hmm. I I like the, um, I, I think the like the it kind of seems like they're going for like a a buffs and debuffs kind of uh, strategy where like you got the the electro power thing, and then you also have the like the toxicity which reduces their HP. Like it's kind of centered around like buffing your own Pokemon and, and debuffing the the opponents, and yeah. I think that's that's pretty interesting. It's been like it kind of lacking in the um, in the other styles. Um, where you're really only focusing on your your own deck and kind of like single strikes really like focusing on building your board and rapid strikes really about disrupting your opponent's board but there's not really a, a combination of like because rapid strike is is hitting multiple things so you're you're kind of like building towards a, a checkmate kind of setup mm-hmm. on your opponent's board um but that buffs and debuffs thing is is pretty interesting and i i have hope that um that will uh, give control some more tools because it, it really fits into that um the the debuffs kind of stuff yeah. seems like it'll if they print they print some uh they, they could print a lot of things that, that would be be pretty cool to uh for control like making energy costs more if yeah. you have all your fusion pokemon in play or or like a, a stadium that uh makes them i don't know like it uh, they they can only uh like they, they're special energy they can't attack special energies or something like that yeah um yeah that would be that would be pretty interesting what do you what do you think of the shared attacks that the mu vmax brings like kind of similar in the aspects of the mu3 tag team that they they share the fusion attacks but you i think actually- it's I, yeah, I think it's it's a really really cool concept that you have your your main attacker doesn't actually have an attack, so you have to play other things. And I think the the deck that that exists already, which is that uh, the Mew Genesect and Bronzong deck, which I I posted a list for a, uh, a couple of weeks ago or like when it was revealed. I think it, it's just like a, a better Corviknight V Max in every way. Mm-hmm. Um, that. I think it does have potential because you got that two energy attack that you can use on turn two for two ten, and that's that's really the most important thing. Um, and then you can also, with the Genesex ability, you can draw through your deck more quickly to be able to uh, like make use of Bronzong and Cheryl against slower things. So I think I think that that deck actually seems pretty good. If we get more attackers, it'll it'll start to to move up in in the tiers, I guess. You, um, and the the psychic typing also helps. Do you like the aspect of of shared attacks though? Because like, a, as a game design mechanic, because like the Mew yeah 3, yeah 
the Mew 3 frustrated me a little bit just because I felt like it, it, like you'd almost have to like make sure that none of the attacks across any GX would like broke him. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> no, I think, I mean, it, yeah, it, it's hard to, it's hard to design for them, but I think they are good cards. Um, like they're the, 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 I think the, the, the most prevalent ones have been um, like the, there's the Mew Prime in the Harkoltzel Silver era, era um, which was pretty good with uh, like you, you use the, like Excel Gore and make like a, a, a paralysis and item lock combo. Uh, so I think uh, that was, that was pretty cool um, back then. And then uh, Mew EX sort of replaced that um, when it came out the same, fulfilled the same role. Um, and then more recently, the uh, Mar Shadow GX um, was also pretty good um, and made, I, I think it's, they're, they're pretty good in, in terms of, um, it, it allows decks like it, it allowed decks like Night March uh, and to to have like a, a couple more extra attackers, mm -hmm. um, more options. Normally, I, I don't think uh, I think Mew Three is for uh, basically the the first like real box deck that's seen success. And I think the way that they were able to accomplish that and like keep it balanced still was pretty pretty cool to see. And I would like to see that return in the future. Uh, it's definitely hard to hard to design around, but I don't think it's anywhere near like impossible, as long as you're you're paying attention. You're not designing something that's only broken because uh, only broken. It, it's broken, but it's only kept in check by it's like uh, the fact that it's a stage two or something like that. Um, like I, I sort of see see that as like uh, like almost the the family Charizard is kind of like the the family deck box, whatever the one that does three hundred. The GX that does like 300 for four energy. Yeah. I think that was kind of one of those where it's on the line of like this is not supposed to work, <laughs> but it does. But it's not it's not that broken in the in the context uh, context of the deck. So uh, I think if they if they avoid doing that, where it's like it's like a meme that that the card's so good, but it doesn't work because it's a stage two, so we're all fine. If they avoid <laughs> that mentality then then these these box decks can can work without too much issue yeah for sure um i think that's just about it for uh me on my end uh, do you have any other questions there chuck no i think we we really uh poke the corners of his game design mm -hmm. no i i think i learned a lot i can't wait to re-listen to it and just really kind of absorb it some more and hopefully get some thoughtful um you know deck deck building decisions out there um but before we do go jake do you have any shout outs or plugs you want to throw out there um i mean i guess just uh check my twitter if, if you want to figure out what's going on uh with me I'll, I'll i post like all my results there and mm -hmm. uh hot takes and uh everything basically so uh if you want to know what's going on look there yeah i've definitely uh you're one of the people on twitter that i definitely look for the newest posts because you always have some uh e either interesting deck decisions or some hot takes like you said and then like just being able to comment with you and then have a little bit of a give and take back there um always fun and interesting um but no i i appreciate you taking some time out and joining us today mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, that's uh, gonna about do it. If you guys want to get a hold of um, us, we got um, Chuck there at Watch Whimsy. 
on Twitter and then myself at Panux1. And then we have Nick at uh, the Duga Hobbies uh, on top of also Pit Pokey Pond, which uh, all three of us kind of share that. Um, so if you wanted to get a hold of us, that's how to do it. And uh, as far as getting a hold of Jake Gearhart, uh, we'll have his Twitter on the show notes. Yep, it'll be in there. All right, so um, that will do it. So we'll see you guys on the next one. Yeah, thank you guys for having me. Thank you for coming, and we'll see you next time.